Hello, and welcome to the 100th episode of the formerly Ooh, Wedding Film Academy Cod podcast. I'm going to call it that today. Hey. I'm going to call it that today because uh, that was the vast majority of our podcast and because we're at the Wedding Film Retreat. So a uh, massive thank you to Rick and Sarah Pendergraft for making this happen. Uh, if you are a listener of the show, you have heard them on many times because I pretty much would like to interview them for every subject that we do. Um, but I have to spread the wealth a little bit, so sometimes I have other people on the show. And I am thrilled to be doing this with the most epic view ever. If you are listening to this podcast instead of being here, that is unfortunate for you. So uh, we are sitting here in Puerto Vallarta on the coast looking at some of the most amazing views in the world. Whether we look left or right or straightforward, it's just phenomenal. So massive props to the Pendergrass for putting on the most incredible event in the wedding industry. I'm just going to put it out there, right? Am I right? Yes. Awesome. So because we're celebrating 100th episode, I'm bringing on uh, a number of folks who have all been on the podcast before. So this is exciting to have people back on the podcast. Um, and let's just uh, go down the line for those who are just listening to the podcast only. We'll go down the line. You have heard all these people on the show before, but let's just go down, starting with Matt Davis right here. Tell us about yourself briefly, one sentence of what you're up to. Matt Davis, Life Stage Films, Wilmington, North Carolina, Destination Weddings. Uh, I do corporate stuff as well, but I'm based in North Carolina. And I... Two uh, sentences is fine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rick Pentagraph with Penn Weddings. Um, I've been doing this with Sarah now full-time for three years, a little over three years, and I'm drinking a margarita. Yes. Si, senor. That's what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I've got wine. Sarah with Penn Weddings. Uh, do you say, what are we up to? Well, I've been up to this, yes. so I'm actually going to be crazy editing when I get home. Um, this has been the culmination of many spreadsheets and much planning and many emails, so this has been my life for a while, and it's so fun to see it all come together. I'm Matt Harris with uh, Film Poets. Um, been up to, what have we been doing? Editing weddings, like every other wedding <laughs> filmmaker, right? Uh, this time of year especially, but uh, things have been great. I'm Pacey Harris with the Film Poets, and I am Matt Sidekick. All right. Awesome. So uh, I'm going to start us off with a few questions that I have for the whole group that is just kind of primarily for anyone. And then we're going to open it up if you are, again, if you're listening here. Um, I wish you could see what's going on. We have people sitting here on uh, some couches with a spectacular view of the ocean. We also have uh, the other half of our audience here is chilling in the pool. In the, uh, <laughs> we got shout-outs from them. And uh, so let's, let's start off with this question. What do you think is something that the wedding industry, the wedding video industry, is, is really in need of right now? There's, um, there is, we're at kind of an amazing time, I think, in, in, in the wedding video industry. We're really, as an as a industry as a whole, I think for the first time in the last several years, being taken super seriously by the rest of the wedding industry for a long time. It was a, it was a uh, uphill battle, even just convincing brides that they needed a wedding video for the most part. And we still have people out there that we have to do that for, right? But for the most part, we've kind of gotten past that as an industry. So we're at a really unique, special place right now where we've grown in some amazing ways. 
as we're kind of at this new place where wedding videos kind of becoming more and more of a staple, what do we need to, um, what, what does the wedding industry as a whole need going forward from that place? Sarah, Sarah's oh like itching. Gosh. Sarah's like chomping at the bit here. No. Oh, you look like you I were. I just want to make sure someone wants to go. Okay, I'll go. Sorry, I guess hold the mic up. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to like jump right in in case somebody else wanted to start. Um, I think that mine's going to sound kind of funny because what you said is very true. We are um, in a place where we're finally being valued more. <clears throat> Excuse me. People are, people understand spending a certain amount on videography, um, but we also are in a place, and I know I mentioned this earlier today in one of the sessions, where the point of entry has become so easy um, that people are so excited about the work they can do that I think a lot of videographers aren't valuing their worth. And I've um, heard from a lot of people that like average prices, base prices in their markets are actually dropping. Maybe not base, but average. Like the average starting price in a lot of markets has gone down instead of up as we've become more valued because it's everything looks so cool. This destination wedding looks cool. This location looks cool. Um, I don't want to get on my, my usual social media grass is greener thing, but you know, I think we're, we're so, we're getting so caught up in the popularity and the beautiful work that we are doing that I think people are willing to give away the farm to look good on Facebook, to look good on Instagram. And we are devaluing ourselves in a time when the customer is putting more value on us. So I think we need to recognize how much value people are putting on video now, um, realize your worth, and without going on another tangent, I'll just briefly say, Rick can attest to this, we are not the people who always just walk in a room and say, you don't charge enough, you don't charge enough, you don't charge enough, raise your prices, raise your prices. Um, we had a company when we were starting out do that to us and, and it really hurt us. Like the way they talked to us, like you guys are ruining things. And like we were, our first full year in business, our starting price was $2,000. You know, when you've only been doing it a year, when you've had six weddings under your belt, that's not bad. And so it really hurt to have someone be like, oh, you're, you're just ruining things. Everyone has to start somewhere. But that said, don't do things just to look cool. Don't do things just because it's fun for you. I mean, that's the other thing. We get new gear. We do something creative. We're very proud of it. We're very happy to do it. Um, but it can get to a point where we are not valuing our own time as much as the clients are. Value your time. Value your worth. Um, and, and realize you, you are worth a certain price point to the client. So when they treat you that way, when the world is seeing what we do with more value, don't undervalue yourself. Can I piggyback on that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, what a little bit of what Sarah was saying also is it's like, I think we all need to have more confidence in ourselves. I mean, even I, I look at things that I do and I'm like, man, I can never do what, you know, what, what Matt is doing or what Matt is doing. And, or, or Jordan, I mean, Jordan's got like this incredible business that he's running. And, you know, I just think that we need to have more confidence in ourselves that we can go out and do it. I heard, I saw a quote the other day um, that was like, what, what could you accomplish if you knew you couldn't fail? You know, just go out there and take the bull by the horns and, you know, do you. Get out there and, and experience it and, and research it and try hard and, and get what you can get. Great stuff. Awesome. Anything from the Harris's? I think if you let fear dictate your prices, you're going to be afraid to raise your prices. So if you can try to get away from the fear of, of not getting booked for a minute, maybe even, um, then you can 
really see where where your price can take you. Um, if your if your work is valuable, then people will pay. Um, so yeah, staying at two thousand dollars is. You know that that should be a starting point, and I mean we did our first wedding for free. Our next one was 15, and then the next one was more and more and more and more and more. Once you get to a certain point, push it. You know, nudge it just a little bit and see what happens. Um, but don't be afraid. Don't take work out of fear. And I don't want to cut off Matt and Matt. I want you guys to say something too. But you just made me think of something I actually meant to say earlier today and forgot. Um, just to let you guys know, we were coming into this year a little afraid. We had nine weddings on the books, and for us, going into a calendar year, that is low. Um, we were only aiming for 15 to 20 this year, really want to do 20, but we're like, our bookings, the actual price was higher, so we're like, if we only get 15, we're okay. But still, it was kind of a scary moment of, um, are, are we going to hit our goal this year? Because that would be the first time in the history of our business that we would not have hit our booking goal. Um, and I fully admit, part of me hesitates saying this because I really hate it when things sound like a humble brag, but I hope that this encourages you guys rather than sounding like a humble brag. We had nine coming into the year. Last week, it was about a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, in the span of five days, we booked five weddings, four of those in one day. Nice. And one of them is someone we have been talking with back and forth for a year and a half. Don't give up. It can take a while. When people are investing six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand $10,000 in you, for many of them, it's not an easy decision. It's not a decision they can make in five minutes. Some people can, but a lot of them can't, and they need time to process. And if you, you know, don't hound them, don't write them every night going, hey, have you decided if you want to book with us? <laughs> but keep in touch. Let them know you're still there. You'd be amazed. I mean, this girl fell off the radar for like months at a time, and then she comes back and books, and she just hadn't picked a venue yet, and they were just slow moving, and all of a sudden, four bookings in a day. I mean, it blew my mind, and we're in such a um, up-and-down industry. One year, you will book so much so far out. I mean, we're booking 2020 weddings now while we're still trying to book 2019. That usually doesn't happen for us. So what Pacey was saying, you know, don't, only, don't be afraid to raise your prices, but also when the bookings don't come in how they usually do, don't immediately freak out and lower them. Sometimes people just book slower. There's just there's weird years. And you can lower them, so don't be afraid. You can go backwards, <laughs> yeah. and and you can you can go up and down throughout the year. You just need to let the planners know what you know. They need to inquire every time, so you know they're the ones that are going to see your package menu over and over again. They're the ones that are are going to notice. Nobody else is going to notice, so they're the only ones that you have to tell. I think that's a good. I mean, the the being able to lower packages, not that we're like suggesting that, but knowing that that's there, it's like hey, you know, we can try. To move it up and just see what happens. It's not a big deal. It's not a defeat if you if you have to move it down. It gives you that, you know, that fallback if you need to. And and really, I mean, you can adjust packages based on the demand for certain times as well. Um, I mean, we do that, and that's just how markets work. Um, so I think that's just one more thing to think about. Yeah, good stuff. What do you got, Matt? We are in an industry where we have to survive too. So I I will I agree with all we're saying, but. There might be times I've been in a drought. Like we're we're up here as speakers, but we're we're all in the same boat. It is an up and down. You don't know when you're gonna sometimes get money coming in. It might be a month before you book something. My example for me that keeps me going in in times of drought. I, and I don't normally book weddings like this, but I mean I've I've booked a seventeen thousand dollar wedding. That's not bragging, but I know that if I can book that, 
then I can, I'm like, well, if they're going to pay it, someone else will. So you have to remind yourself, and I will lower my prices too. If someone's going to book me for next month that I know that I'm not going to book it, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll have my team do it or I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, it's going to put food on the table. I will do it. But the biggest, to, to answer your question, to go back to what you said, what I think as an industry we're doing that's hurting us is buying all this gear before you get the money. Like, it's so cheap now. We got all this stuff that mm -hmm. makes us look really good. But you're buying, you're, 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 you're getting into debt before you even have the jobs that you think you can get. And we are creatives. We are people that can that have an eye. It's not about the camera. It's not about the slider. It's not a, a sliders. Jeez, I don't even <laughs> use a slider. Um, but I hate it when people just go jump into something new and buy this newest, greatest thing. When I stick around and I, I, I'll keep my cameras for five years, get the life out of them. Same thing with my car. I'm driving a 2006 car that I've had for since 2006. <laughs> but it still works. It gets me from A to B. And that's my mentality with my gear too. And that's that's something that I'll always keep um, true to life stage, at can, least. Can I so. say something about the gear, too? Because um, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, some of us will put, like, list our gear or something or answer questions. And, you know, I've had a few people just starting out being, like, feeling like they needed that. And um, and I was, I was like, the, the gear is not necessary to success. It's a result of it afterwards. So... Um, don't feel that way, you know, just because you have it. And, you know, it's obviously a funny thing after people, you know, when it comes time to get more gear, obviously if you're doing better, you can get better gear and everything, but it's not. It is not necessary. I remember we hung on to our Canon 6Ds, which and shot some uh, 60 frames a second, 720p. I mean, that is an ugly image, you know. <laughs> and we booked some $10,000 weddings off of it several years ago off of those films. And, like, I, I mean, there's something about, like what Matt's saying, holding a piece of gear that you've had for a while and being like, this, I got my money's worth and more out of this versus trying to buy the hot new thing, you know? So main thing, um, just, you know, the gear should be a result of your growth as a business and, and it's not a precursor or necessity to it. That's great stuff. And that's from, uh, you know, if, if you're here, you saw just some of the most beautiful stuff ever in that speech uh, that Matt did earlier, you know, from the guy who's putting out some of the most beautiful work in the industry saying, like, forget about the gear, use what you have, I love that. Um, okay, I got, my next question is for the Pendergrafts and for Matt Davis. <laughs> we, we were in the earlier session, Sarah pointed out that you guys were the only ones who had been to this conference uh, years and years ago. I don't even know You're how long ago it was. You're making us sound so I'm old. make you sound old right here for I'm a second. I'm not old. I am not old. I'm old. I'm not old, I'll admit it. But one of the things that I find sort good, of amazing though. about the industry that we're in is I'm seeing just like some phenomenal work from people who are like, oh yeah, I've only been doing it for like two years. You know, it's like there's this industry is growing so rapidly in terms of like who's a part of it, who's putting out amazing work. Um, and so I want to ask from some people who have been doing this at a very high level for longer than most of the people in the industry, because there's so many new people coming in. What is, what is a key that you have to long-term success in this industry? You want me to say it? I'll say it. Never being satisfied. Never being satisfied with the, work, with the work that you have. Always achieve to be better. Always achieve to find new ways to, to tell the story. 
um, and just keep looking forward. Never, never try, never be stale. I, no one ever tries to be stale, um, but some people just fall into a rut and there's, you know, it's, well, I've always done it this way or I've always done it that way. Why should I try something new? Well, because everyone else is trying something new and they're passing you by. Great stuff. I, so I've, I started in, in 2007 was basically when I started making money doing it. I was 22 years old, 23, something. So I started, I've, I've, I've never been employed by someone else. I don't know if that's something I've said in any kind of podcast or anything, but I've never, I went from college to doing this. And I don't regret it. I love, I love what I do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it forever, but I know that that's, this is my passion. This is what I'm, my purpose, what God put me on earth to do is to tell stories and to have a camera in my hand. And so that right there, knowing that this is what I'm supposed to do, I think people that start it because they think it's easy, it's not easy. I started it because, oh, I'll shoot weddings. Like, uh, all my (laughs) friends are getting married, I'll do it. But it's so hard, but you have to have a passion for the people you're serving. And I think it's getting harder and harder, or it's fun. It's just like you said, never be satisfied. We have to constantly evolve our marketing, our sales, our, our films, but always be connected to the people you're serving. If you, if you care more about impressing people in this room, it's not gonna work. It really will not work. Connecting to families, cultivating relationships, showing up for, for them when they have new milestones in their life is how I've been able to keep referrals going because I don't advertise. We, who was I talking to, Matt, where's Matt? We were talking last night about Facebook advertising, right? Yeah. You got this. You, they want your money. They, you pour this, pour this money. People are going to see it. No, I'm going to pour my money into the, into the I'm going I'm to take some families out. I'm going to send them a gift. I'm going to remember that their daughter was born last year. And, hey, happy first birthday. That's how you keep going is building these relationships with families. That's ex- at least how I've done it. And well, that will never get old. That, that always, it's a gift to me. Because we get to we get to do this, like we get to invite ourselves into their lives. That's a cool thing. Well, and Rick and I are over here nodding at each other as you're talking. Because anyone, I think I'm trying to make sure I'm getting the count right. Do we have six people? I think there are six people here, maybe more, but I think six is right. Who came to the previous uh, retreats? So you guys know my soapbox um, about doing things that are timeless and. Jordan, you speaking to people who have been doing it like a year, two years maybe, and they're putting out this amazing work. I think part of that is because you have people who have this incredible talent, but before they had no interest in wedding films because it was so uncool. So you have these people who immediately went to indie filmmaking to try to go to Hollywood, whatever it may be, and they see that wedding films can be cool and they put their talent there. And so it is absolutely amazing work. I mean, I'm floored by some of the things people are putting out. Um, But you do also have people where they are in one of two ways, a flash in the pan. Either all they are is following trends, and as soon as the trends change, they don't know what to do with themselves. They know how to make something follow a certain trend, follow a certain cool look, but as soon as that look is no longer the end trend, they're just done with because their focus wasn't on the client, their focus was on the cool factor, or they're a flash in the pan because they don't care to have longevity in this industry. It's fun for them, but they're still pursuing more indie filmmaker, Hollywood, corporate. So there are a lot of people who aren't trying to stay in this industry long. It's fun. It's a way to progress. But I think true longevity as a wedding filmmaker is exactly what Matt was just saying about putting the client first, understanding what's important to them, 
yes, we still have to evolve. You can't get stale. You still have to say, how can I keep up with what's trendy without sacrificing what makes me me? Because if all you're doing is following trends, you will be reinventing yourself over and over and over. You will get burned out and and it'll be harder and harder to have a successful business over a long time because you won't have a defining look or a defining style or what makes you special. If you're constantly chasing trends, it's really hard to sustain a wedding filmmaking business long-term. Love that. All right, let's open it up. I wanna have a time where our audience here who has made the long trip to Puerto Vallarta gets a chance to be on the podcast. So uh, this is a time where you can ask a question to any of the six of us. Um, we have our first question here from Mr. Stark himself. Let's see if my mic will reach all the way over here. Hey, yes, for Matt and Pacey. <coughs> as wedding filmmakers who homeschool your kids, who work at home as a married couple, how do you develop the work-life balance um, as we're looking to have kids eventually and move into that? How do you find yourself setting your time up to succeed as a married couple and a family? So it's, it's definitely something we're always working on. So I, I can't say that we feel, uh, you know, fully successful in that. But uh, having said that, you know, it's, it's something that um, just the flexibility that you have as a filmmaker, you can just... I'll literally just take a Wednesday off randomly if my daughter like is asking me to do something special. I mean, you get to do that. And I think um, being able to do that with, with your kids at the time is, is a big deal, but you have to have, like you, what you're talking about, the work-life balance. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, uh, that's an interesting you know, way to put it, um, but there's sometimes where you have to be allowed to go really deep in your work, you know, if you can, if you're just like, you pick up an edit, uh, maybe the Monday after the wedding and you're just like, hey, I got this idea, I got to get it out of my head and you work like till 9 PM that night and everything. I mean, um, that's happened with us occasionally, but then the next day, take it off. You know, um, you don't have to be as rigid about it as like a standard nine to five. So we have, um, you know, there are no like clear lines, um, other than like, you know, we're not like at the table, we're not talking business in front of the kids and stuff like that. I think that's pretty obvious and common sense. But there, where there's also, um, you know, if something gets pushed one way, we will let work, you know, go pretty far with it and then come back. And there's something I started doing um, uh, last year. I, I need to, and I got out of the habit of doing it, was doing um, a guy named Sean West used to have a podcast. There's one word, Sean West podcast. And he would take a sabbatical is what he would call it, but it was just every seventh week he would take a week off. Um, and, uh, and literally no work or, um, you know, tr doing something a little different. I did that last year, like, you know, maybe not fully through the year, but it was awesome because you're planning on that. And maybe I would just work. I mean, we all know like our most creative time in here. When's your most creative time? Is it like at the end of the day when you're burned out or is it like first two hours in the morning? Like if, if y'all are like me, it's like 90% of my work will get done first two hours in the morning, you know, creatively and the other stuff might just... So I could do two hours and take the rest of the day off, you know, for a whole week. Little things like that. And, and you just got to play and see what works with your schedule. But 
As far as the, the homeschooling and, and juggling the kids, we have defined roles for sure. Um, Matt's first shooter, I'm second shooter. He's lead editor and I'm Fresh Eyes editor and I do the long form films. And the advantage of doing me doing the long form films, which are more the documentary style, chronological stuff, is that I don't have to get in creative mode as much as he does. I don't have to get in that zone. I can get up and leave and don't have to come back uh, and can just pick up where I left off and don't have to think about the edit as much because there's not a story in most of the stuff that I do. And I can come in when he has a dull saw, we change positions, he's with the kids, and I go up and relief edit for him or fresh eye edit and look at his films and tell him where he needs to make improvements. And so doing that teamwork and knowing our roles is really helpful with juggling kids at home constantly. And he has to lock his door. You know, sometimes kids will bust in naked during a FaceTime meeting and then you're like, oh, no, you know, and they come out of the bathtub and you're, you know, so you have to be careful with stuff like that. That's happened. I feel like we sound weird when we say dull saw, like it's one word because we're southern sound. I mean, you're sawing a tree and it's getting dull. You're at it, you know. Nice. Awesome. Do we have any questions from the pool? Questions from the from the pool gallery? You got one. Can you come a little bit closer? Maybe my my mic's not super long. It's okay. Okay. Um, I'm Cherie, and for those of you who do destination weddings, what is your primary like market marketing tool for that, rather than just blindly hashtagging and hoping someone sees it? Great question. I think we all, yeah. I mean, I have a simple answer. You do one and their friends are going to see it. I don't do marketing. I don't, I mean, I, I guess I used to do SEO and, and do that stuff. Things have changed. I mean, SEO is always changing. You always have to know what's, what's going to happen next. Marketing now is Instagram and all that stuff. But for me, the biggest success that I found, I mean, we did the last destination wedding I did uh, was in Rhode Island, Watch Hill, but it was this freaking amazing wedding. But I live in North Carolina. They, they hired me to come up, but you know what? Their friends saw it, and then you know, five of them inquired. That's how it happens for me. It's, you do one, it's gonna, if you do a good job, if you take care of them, if you create relationships, they're going to tell their friends about it, and someone else is going to do it. I've done weddings in Costa Rica, Italy, Mexico, uh, geez, um, New York. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Southern, but we go all over the country, and it's just about meeting people. They'll see it, and they say, we want you. New York has plenty of people, but why would they hire me to come up there? It's because their friend said, hire these people. And so you do one and it's just gonna happen. Um, for me, I don't market, I don't, I don't do it that way. Maybe you guys have a different way of doing it. I mean, we definitely get a lot of those where it's from the friend, but honestly, um, it's funny, lots of times, I don't know if they think because their friend did their wedding, they don't have to inquire soon. We get a lot of inquiries from friends and we're already booked. Most of our travel work has come from SEO right. and YouTube. Um, our, we have, like, we've had the trickle-down effect. We've had the wedding in the mountains that led to the wedding in California that led to the wedding in Mexico that, you know, we've had those ones that you can trace back to a specific wedding. Um, but a lot of our biggest trips have just been people finding us on YouTube. Um, we did a wedding two years ago. I, kinda, I hate to bring this up because, okay, so funny story. I'll make it short, but... I posted something about how amazing it was. We're so used to getting these inquiries for us personally, at least for Europe, for Iceland, for whatever it may be. And they just can't believe the travel costs. I mean, that's it. As soon as we mention normal rate plus travel, it is done. 
Um, they seem absolutely floored. I'm like, you realize I'm not even charging extra. And I know this is different for everyone. Like Rick and I don't have kids yet. So as a husband and wife team, it's not as hard for us to be away from home. I edit on the road. So we don't have like an out of office fee, but we are every bit of travel cost, everything is covered. Whereas I understand for, you know, people with children, it's a little different. You need to say, this is my day away from home. I am charging more. Um, but we're still charging every last bit of travel. So we got an inquiry for a wedding in Australia gave them our rates. They're like, yep, that sounds about right for travel to Australia. Awesome. And it was a fairly instant booking. And I posted something in one of the groups, like pretty, you had to know something because I didn't say any names. I didn't even specify. And I got a private message from Matt Harris. And he was like, it's not by chance so-and-so, is it? Stole our wedding. Stole our wedding. It was was an honor. I was like, dude, are they talking to you too? Because at this point, they, I think they had, they had said no problem. Yeah, they said no problem, send the contract. But we didn't have it back yet. So I was like, oh my gosh, they're talking to us and Matt and Pacey? They're not going to book us. And so then when they did, Matt's like, well, you know, I mean, we refer each other. We've referred weddings to each other. And we're like, if we have to lose something, I, I at least know I'm losing it to someone I trust and I refer. But he was like... Pacey's going to be really sad when I tell her. I wanted to go to Australia. Sarah. <laughs> I felt so bad. Australia's really beautiful, by the way. It's really nice. Rub it in. But they drive but on the wrong right. side of the road. Which is kind of weird. If you're, if you're going to lose to somebody, it's, it's somebody you respect, and you're yeah. like, yes, I know why then, you know. But that, that was straight off YouTube for us, and I don't know if that's how they, that particular yeah. couple found you guys, too. Same way, yeah. yeah. Awesome. What are the questions we have? I'm going to go here. This is where I saw a question raised first. Yeah. So, Owen um, from Ireland, just because, might as well put it in there. Um, So, earlier in Matt's presentation, there was the 80-20 rule that you gave, Matt. Um, But this is kind of for everybody on on the panel. When you look at average to just slightly above average wedding videos, and some of you guys do one-on-one mentoring with, with guys that are in that, probably that, that, that ballpark, what's the one thing that maybe stands out to you that they can quickly improve? Mm, great question. That's a good question. Who wants to go first on that? You start. You want me to start on that? Right, you yeah. didn't answer the last one, so you go. Right. <laughs> you know, everybody I've talked to has different issues. You know, I wish it was this, like there was one thing, because it's, it's not. Everybody has they're very strong points and we all have our weak points, you know, especially me. I mean, just different things. So I I cannot give like a general um, answer to it. Obviously everybody's storytelling um, uh, and everybody here, everybody that's a filmmaker can always be amping that up, that skill. Um, And so, you know, there's, there's not a specific piece of advice I could give on that other than the fact that the people that I have talked to, many of them were able to describe where they're having troubles. And I think that's been good, being able to say, okay, what am I, what am I not doing? Where am I weak? Because that's hard. You know, you want to look at your own work and it's, you want to celebrate what you're doing right. And I think that's healthy. But at the same time, being able to step back and look at it objectively and being like, what's, what's the weak link right here? And so I think that would be good for anybody in any position um, to be able to do and just kind of analyze where, where they should put their focus. I got one. <laughs> so what separates us from photographers? It's storytelling, but audio. 
if you suck at audio, it's going to pull you out of the story. Yep. I think a lot of us in the industry, um, I might step on some toes, but it's kind of a cop-out when you just put a bunch of pretty images to a nice song and call it a, a video, and it's just a music video. But when you have good audio, it brings you in. When you have bad audio, it takes you out. You will click away from it. The client will be like, this is awful. So if you can do good audio and know how to back it up, uh, you talked about that today. I mean, everyone should have multiple sources because you cannot do it over. And it, it, it drives me crazy when I hear of people just using an on-camera mic or even a shotgun. I got a shotgun. No, you have to have sources, multiple sources, because you can't, you can't do it over. And so audio for the creative side, and of course, I will talk about uh, anyone that knows me or the, the podcast that I do or have, have, have heard me in the past, sales. We, there's, a, there's a bias we have as creatives that if I just make good work, people are going to come. That is just not true. You can be really, really awesome at your craft, but if you don't know how to put it in the right hands or put it in front of the right people, um, you're going to be a starving artist. And I think a lot of us just don't put the effort into chiseling that saw, making it a, a sharp saw, not a dull saw, of, of just having a good, you don't have to be a sleazy salesperson, just knowing how to talk to people and show them the value of the work that we do instead of just saying, look at how awesome I am. I think that's what a lot of us do is just say, hey, look, see this? I'm good. But then it's not going to work that way. I'm going to piggyback off of that and say that, um, so I've been reviewing a lot of films lately because of the the Friday film critique thing that we're doing, and we're about to start doing the, the WPPI film competition. And I'm surprised at how many fundamentals, just in terms of like in-camera function that I'm seeing. There's just like, because you asked a broad question, right? In terms of like the industry as a whole, like what are the big things that I'm seeing missing? And I think with photography, it's so easy because they're shooting raw, so like you can really like fudge those details. But you just can't do that with video, and I see like that is a pretty big um, thing across the board. Is just like a lack of focusing on good fundamentals. Um, so Matt, we were talking earlier. You're just talking about like how important it is to like be practicing at home, like shooting, testing stuff. So it's not a good thing to like be practicing this stuff on the wedding day. You got to figure this stuff out beforehand. So if your fundamentals aren't right. <clears throat> Um, it's going to really make everything suffer. Like, you know, you mentioned audio, obviously a huge fundamental that is massively overlooked, but even things like exposure and focus pulling and things like that, they're just like these fundamentals that a lot of people in the industry lack. What other questions do we have? My name is Pavel. Uh, I'm from Colorado. The question is, uh, we were talking about following the trends or keeping with them, so, and having your own style. So in regard to the color grading, <laughs> we know dark sepia, are you adjusting your videos to that? Or if the client is gonna ask you, we love your storytelling, but can you do this, you know, dark sepia tones or light ones or whatever? What's your reaction to the whole? Great I feel like I'm the least qualified to talk about this because I've been analyzing my color grading so much for the past few years, um, but that is in large part due to I know what I like, um, but I also know what's popular, and um, I don't want, like, it's the thing about 
adapting. I do want to make sure I'm not doing a look that looks dated. I'm trying to keep my work pretty timeless. But yes, lately I've been doing like just a slightly darker grade, but I'm not going too far. Like um, I kind of hate that this is a situation where we can't show people something, but hopefully um, people listening to this are familiar with Willy Wonka, the original Willy Wonka. And I saw something going around on Facebook and most of my photographer friends are pretty like want to be timeless too. And I, you know, Matt Davis earlier saying probably going to step on some toes. I know I'm going to step on some toes with this one. So sorry if you hate me. Um, but it was a meme that was going around that was like, hey, honey, what, are you what do you think the family should be for Halloween? And the answer was, why don't we all go as presets? And it's a picture of all the Oompa Loompas because they're orange. Because <laughs> they're solid orange. I understand the trend, but I also look at some stuff and I'm like, oh, that's just, it's a little too far. It's one thing if you're kind of going for like the, this looks like a, an original photo in the 70s, like a true film photo that was taken in the 70s kind of has that look. But I mean, there's some people pushing it so so far that I'm like, you realize someday we're going to look back on that the way we look back on selective color now. Someday we are going to look back on these things and we are going to laugh at them. And if you don't have a problem being trendy, if, if that's how you sell yourself, then great. But I mean, I can even say when we first um, made a camera switch and we were changing how we were doing things, I was playing with different color grades. And even from just four years ago, I look at my work and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I color graded like that. And it wasn't even like an intentional trend thing. Um, but I think it is possible to update your look to make sure you are not stale, but also to not go so far that a year from now, you hate the stuff you did a year ago. The only like caveat I will say to that is there are some people who have a very definite look and I think they're gonna keep it regardless of the trends because it is their look. If you, um, we were talking in the pool earlier about Fiore Films. Sharon is amazing, she's a friend of mine. She has a very definite look. I it's, it's a super strong look. It is a baked in hardcore look, but it's hers. It's not a trend. She's not chasing a trend. She has established her own look. So even though it's a really, really heavy grade, she's not just copying. Um, so yeah, I, I have no problem with tweaking here and there to make sure you at least can compete with what's current. But I personally don't like pushing things so far that four years from now or even a year from now, I'm going to look at my work and go, geez, that already looks so dated. The question is, is if a client, and this can be for anyone, um, but have you ever had a client that asked you for a specific look in terms of color that was different from yours? They're a bad client. They shouldn't be telling you what to do. Yeah. They should come to you for <laughs> your work. Yeah, I, and I fair. say that you can, it's one thing if a client is asking you to do something you haven't done before that might push you creatively. And it's, it's a fun thing. It's okay you know what, I'm going to get outside of my box and try this. But it's another thing if they just want you to look like someone else or they just want you to copy something. If someone says, I want you to copy this, we turn them away. And we've had conversations with other filmmakers. We've had friends say, hey, I just got a client and they asked me to copy you. I told Aaron with 31 Films once, I was like, dude, I just got an inquiry and they want me to copy you because you're booked. And I just turned them away. And it's what's okay. funny is we're not even that far off the map from 31 films, honestly, right. but they're a little more slow-mo than us, a little more, but it wasn't even that. 
it, if someone came to me and was like, hey, I love your work, but I wonder if you can do just a, a tiny bit more dreamy romantic, just a little bit more, even then I might be like, okay, I'll get out of my box, yeah. But if they say, I want you to copy this company, no. I yeah. want you to copy this exactly because they really don't want you and they aren't really going to trust you. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's opening up a can of worms to like a <laughs> lot of other issues that are probably going to happen after you deliver the film. And yeah, yeah it sounds like a lot of sleepless nights ahead in that situation. I think the, the thing um, with the, the differing styles uh, is something that the good thing about it and the reason I kind of celebrate it in a sense is that if a client desires that, they just... they. They saved you a lot of headache by hiring, like, for instance, I went out to, for drinks with a um, really talented filmmaker from Texas. He was coming to Alabama to make a film, right? Great stuff. And they were like, yeah, the planner really wanted them to book you guys. He liked my style. And I was like, cool, you know, that's, I was totally joyful about that, you know, because it were to two different things. And then I was like, you know, I just got booked because I'm coming to Texas in like six weeks or something, you know where he's from, and so it was just a swap, but both clients will be served better, in their perspective at least, by wh who they chose. And so in that, in that sense, you know, we each still get to keep that freedom of not being, because as soon as someone craps on your creativity asking you to do something different, you know, it's very hard to get that out of your mind because now you're second guessing yourself with everything. So I love the, um, I, I, I love that the multiple styles are out there to the point that hopefully it's enough where the work can match the clients who want it and we just we all serve the clients that we fit best well and i'll even add one little tidbit to that we had an inquiry from someone it was a really positive like we are ready to book you it was a referral from a past client um but i think a lot of us know that unless you know there are those people out there who sit on youtube day in and day out watching wedding videos but a lot of people don't this particular person saw the wedding video we did and they loved it oh my gosh we'd love to have you guys we want you what do we have to do to book um we weren't available so it was a huge bummer. We gave them some names to look into. Most are styles that are a lot closer to our look. But again, um, I am friends with Sharon with Fiori Films. And I, even though our looks are so different, we both at the core appreciate pulling out emotion, the client's feelings. Like there's a certain thing that we both appreciate to where we, even though our looks are so different, we're comfortable referring one another. The client ended up booking her. And that may seem crazy. Someone who was looking to us a little more, you know, a little more, a lot more documentary style, much different color grade. Um, and I told Rick, you know, as much as I hated not being able to do that one, because they were an amazing couple, I said, I think going off what Matt just said, they were served better by her because, man, she fit them to a T. It, it was good for them that we were booked and we could send them to her because, I mean, they were an, I mean, it to this day is still, she says, one of her favorite weddings she's done. Um, and they were a better fit for her. I don't think they would have been a bad fit for us. They didn't know any different. But as soon as they saw that, man, it, they fit her so much better than they would have fit us. And it was so great for them. I'm happy that they got that, even though I'm sad I didn't get to work with them. Just to give her props, she would set a trend, but nobody can do that. Yes. <laughs> Many have tried. Right? Yeah. Many have tried. All have failed. You had a question? Say your name first. Uh, my name is Alan. I'm one of the, the only Canadian here. Woohoo! Let's hear it for Canada. Hey, hey, hey. hey. And it's a lot warmer here. Uh, okay, I want to ask a bit of a downer question. We're a bit older than you guys, but younger than Steve Moses. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to pay for that, Steve. I know that if you're listening. Uh, do you guys have an exit strategy? 
An exit strategy. Oh, I see. I see Matt Davis shaking his head. We've actually talked about this earlier today. I will. I, when I started my business, I knew that I was not going to shoot weddings forever. So sorry, wedding, or sorry, film mavericks. What? It, sorry, yeah, you can edit. It's good. Um, We're not editing that. Um, <laughs> I just knew when I started that I wasn't going to do this forever. So you have to have. I have a, an end game, really. I just don't want to be, it, weddings, I mean, gosh, when you show up, shoot a wedding all day, and you take all this gear and lug it in your car and t go back home, who's not tired? Who's not hurt? And we're getting older and older and older, and that's, that's okay, but I'm not going to do this forever, and so. I'm hurt just sitting here turning my head left the whole time, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to switch seats? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, so my, my, we are, an inter interesting industry because we have to think about, and I'm, I'm gonna be talking about this a little bit tomorrow, uh, sorry for the folks that are listening, but we are self-employed. You have to think about retirement, you have to think about health insurance, you gotta think about all this stuff that if a company that you're working for just provides you, you, I mean, you have to do that yourself. And if you don't, if you just come up with some price based on your local market, you are not thinking about your future. You're just thinking about, oh man, I can pay the bills this month. And that's not okay. And so for me, um, I'm 36 years old. I said I started when I was, yeah, I was 23 when I started. Um, I still love shooting weddings, and I'm not going to stop. I love, I'm just doing less and less because I do have kids, and I'm thinking about my future in the sense that I don't want to be gone every weekend. So that might not be you. You might want to be like, yeah, I want to go somewhere every weekend. That's not me. And so for me, my shift has been more towards corporate stuff. Because of the, the things that we've learned in this industry, I'm able to do way better at corporate film and brand films for companies than I ever was capable of uh, before. And so, because we can humanize things. We know how to film real things. And so for me, that's the next decade of my life. But that doesn't mean, um, I'm always, you gotta have, you can't have all your eggs in one basket, so. Um, I don't know how to answer in the sense of, you know, I don't, if you don't want to go work for someone else, don't, but you've got to do something else that you can back off, you know, you can have your, you know, as a backup, whether it be, I mean, you got to invest too. We didn't even talk about that. That's a whole other topic. I mean, <laughs> you, when you book a wedding, how much is going back into your business? How much are you investing into your own, you know, IRA? It's just, it's crazy. But we don't think about that stuff because all we care about is, oh, I just got this booking. I just got this wedding, I'm booked up for the year, I got 60 weddings, I got 30 weddings, I got 20, I'm good. Are you? Are, are you thinking about that stuff? And that's, that's really what sometimes gives me anxiety. Does anyone have anxiety in this room? <laughs> Can we talk about anxiety? <laughs> Cheers for anxiety from the pool. <laughs> it's a, it's a double-edged sword what we do and, and it's so, and I'm going to be again harping on this, but we get to do such an awesome thing, but you don't think about your future. You're thinking about making this awesome film, but you're not thinking about what happens when you can't do it because we are all blessed to be able to have arms and legs and brains and we can talk. You don't have a finger. I get it. Sorry. You can't. <laughs> you're, you have a broken finger. For those that can't see, he, yeah, you got a finger. I'm rambling, but yeah. Yeah. What other questions do we have? We have time for, I think, maybe one or two more questions. We have one from 
DAX here. Let me see how far my mic will reach. Oh, yeah. Hi, guys. Hola. Nice Hi. view. Hi, DAX. Hey. So, um, so I have a question for like all of you guys. Let's just say you guys start all over with the business. How would you guys uh, like, uh, what do you call that? Like the perceived value, um, like when you guys are starting out, like do you guys have any actionable steps, you know, to have like that, you know, I guess. Oh, to increase value perception when you guys were are starting out. Do you guys um, like have a, like a membership at Stanley Pretty or do you do this, do you do that? How, how do you uh, approach that if you guys are gonna start all over again? Um, I don't want to get into all of the marketing stuff. I'm sure plenty of others can answer that. And yes, I do think that matters. Um, I know there are a lot of people who say no, but we have booked weddings off Style Me Pretty. I don't think it carries the name recognition it, name recognition it used to. Um, my biggest thing would be, um, I'll get a shout out from all the other type A'ers out there. Don't try to do everything yourself. I have a journalism background. I'm a pretty good writer. I've, you know, I, I write all these blog posts. I write everything about our films, and I even get people saying, like, oh, what a great, you know, you always come up with something great to say about each couple. But I still, um, I said earlier, I want to hire a copywriter. I want to get someone who really knows how to do the stuff on your website that is totally different. Because, um, yeah, I think I'm an okay writer, but I'm still not really good about um, coming up with ways I, to talk about myself, to talk about us. Um, but I, I've always done that, all, I've done, we do everything um, outside of, you know, making a website, which I even think I made our first website. Um, we do everything and learning more to outsource, to find people to do stuff from the get go. And it depends on, you know, I will never outsource editing. I love it too much. Editing is my favorite thing. I'm never gonna let go of that. I will let go of social media to some extent. I still want to interact with people, but not trying to do it all yourself. Finding the people who are experts at branding, copywriting, things like that, because um, we've just done so much ourselves and it, it sucks so much out of you when, when all you want to do, at least for me, when all you want to do is sit down and edit and you're trying to do everything yourself. Just like we want people to hire us because we're experts instead of you know their family member who's good with the camera. Hire the people who are experts at things that may not seem like a big deal, but they really can make a huge difference in how people perceive you, your website, your copy, your, you know, whatever it may be. And it may cost a little more, but uh, it takes a lot of stress, which is, uh, is so valuable, and, and time, which is, uh, is money for all of us. And branding, I'm going to say, is super important. You can have great films, and if your branding's bad, they're going to... Some people are going to just leave because they think you have bad taste. Even if they've watched your films, they could, you know, just be turned off by that, especially planners. Yeah. So, one one thing I would add, and this, uh, this is the the only experience we have is this. You know, Matt, we're both thirty six. Matt Davis and, and me. I'm thirty six um, as well. And and um, but he started when he was twenty two, and I had a different job, right? And so we overlapped from one job into wedding filmmaking. And the only thing I can say from that perspective, what helped us was the job we were in, we treated like Matt was preaching for you guys to treat this job as in, what am I putting away? What am I saving? Right? And so we had a savings to the point where we weren't, we never booked or dropped a price out of fear from the get go. 
and our films weren't very good. It had nothing to do with that. But it was like, if we don't get this, it's okay because we can live for three months with nothing, no work. And and that sort of, you know, I've, I've said that to a couple people, and they're like, Matt, this is all I do. This is all I know. That's not helping me go away. And, and I understand that's that's not the good advice. But if, if there's, you know, you can just work to that point um, when you first start on just really not overspending and saving and being secure mentally because there is, you can talk about, you know, growing and raising prices all you want, but you have this deep down fear when you really think that you can't raise your price. So um, because of that, I mean, like our third wedding, and we did the first one for free, second one was like $1,200. Their third or fourth wedding was $4,500. I mean, and it, it wasn't like, you know, it, but I wasn't scared because I'm like, okay, I know your situation. This is a major league baseball player who's come to this area and you just freaked out on the phone about the other two films you saw. That wasn't really why I could charge that much. It was because we had treated our prior business and our savings like Matt was talking about for everybody to have that security. That's just my perspective and that is so much easier said than done. And, um, but I, I hope that helps a little bit. And your price can, uh, raising your price can help your perceived value as well. <laughs> More than, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot. If you, have a, if you have a super low price and great films, people are going to look at you like you're not worth it. You know, so That's the thing just that, don't be afraid to try to raise it. See what happens. You can always go backwards. I mean, I'll never forget about the, uh, I had a huge, uh, a huge corporate job that came to me because the client found me on the knot and I was the only one that was listed as expensive. Uh, on the knot. So that's so funny how that, that sort of perception works. They didn't even look at the work, actually. They literally looked at that one stat. Yeah. So in like this case, your savings, your, your um, you know, being wise with your money in the first place actually makes you more money because the fear goes away that you can do that. And then, you, like, you know, it, it just kind of, and then it'll snowball. And just really quickly, oh, well, one little tidbit. We did a mentoring session with someone in this room, and I don't know if they want to raise their hand or not. I'm not going to put them on the spot by name. Um, but one of their biggest things was they had a competitor that was only like a couple hundred dollars less and just losing stuff. How, you know, how do I compete with this? And I'm like, I'll be honest, I think it's actually harder for you than being a few hundred dollars under you because you're, this is going to sound really weird, but when you think about perception, you are close enough in price that a client can look at them and go, oh, but I can save a few hundred dollars with them. Whereas if you are $1,000 more than them or $1,500 more than them, it legit makes a perceived value of, oh, wait a second, though. This one is so much more, there's a reason why. Instead of just, I get to pocket a few hundred dollars. It, it really seems like crazy logic, but I was like, you, you either need to be charging the same as this person, and obviously our work is part of it, too, but the fact that they're a few hundred dollars less than you is almost making it harder on you than if they were a thousand dollars less than you because it's not giving that perception of, oh, there's so much more, so they must be worth more. And it makes it easier to say, I'm going to save a few hundred dollars. It's either it's it's easier to be either really cheap or really expensive. Being in the middle, um, one of my favorite Seth Godin quotes is, being mediocre is exhausting. Um, what book is that from? Purple Cow, maybe? I don't know. Um, but I wanted to leave you guys with that, too, because being mediocre is exhausting. Being in the middle of the road, you're going to have some hard work. You'll book some weddings. You'll, you'll do it. But you're going to be $200 you know, next, you know, either more expensive or less. And, and it's really successful to be really cheap because people are going to be like, yeah, absolutely. But how sustainable is that? So it's up to you. All right, I got one more question. This one comes from our cameraman over here. 
Peter, what do you got for us? Um, <laughs> All right, okay. I'm Peter, I'm the only Dominican in the group. All right. <laughs> um, how do you know that you're good enough to raise your prices? That's, that's, that's the biggest thing, the biggest hesitation to go up. How do you know you can compete? You don't. I kind of, I mean, I hate saying that, but someone, I've always said, um, yes, you know your worth, and I want you to know what you're worth, but in a free market economy, what you are worth is technically determined by what people are willing to pay for you. You might be worth $20,000, and you don't know it because you've never charged it. You just have to test the waters. And and I, um, I know I have to be careful not to get on another tangent. I would say the whole thing of raise, lower your prices, raise them, it doesn't work, lower them. If you're doing that because bookings are slow, because you can't put food on the table, that's totally understandable. That's totally fine. Um, I would implore you, and this is me personally, this is a pet peeve of mine, I would implore you to not charge more just because you know someone's wealthy. Um, differing opinions, I, I think that's pretty lame to say, I know you have a lot of money, so I'm just going to charge you double what I charged someone else yesterday for the exact same thing just because I know you're wealthy. I could, I know that could probably ruffle some feathers, but out, if you're doing it because you're testing the waters, because you're not sure how it's going to work, that's how you find out. And every time we raised our prices, instead of doing huge jumps, we did like gradual increases, $400, like three times a year. And I mean, that builds up pretty quickly. Um, but I genuinely don't think you know until you've tried. You can start with, are your clients happy? You know, uh, if your couples are happy, then inch it. See what yeah. happens. There's, um, we have a couple of unique experiences with this as well. Um, and one sort of piece of advice. Um, our, we have four packages. And you know, our pricings are, are structured different. But essentially, um, the, the top package is a, like a 12 to 14 minute feature film. And it is drastically more expensive than the, the package just below it, which is a 20-minute um, documentary-style edit and highlights film. And they all come with ceremonies and, and everything. And, um, and I mean, like, you know, you're going from 8,500 to, to 12,500, you know, and, and for what? And so um, doing that, having that, there's a couple things that happens from that. One, it frames the packages you really want to book. It makes it look, it gives it some form of reference. But when people start booking that top package, it's sort of a signal. Like, when you get two or three of those booked, you're like, what's going on? Another thing, um, I'm just saying that would be a signal to maybe you could raise your price and make that second lowest package at that price. Who knows? Another thing um, is that everything is, is, is kind of like, you know, you don't want to turn your, your inquiries into just, you know, numbers, but essentially that's what it is. You know, we all, the number of inquiries we get, we're going to catch some of them. And I kind of think of it like as fishing with a net. And um, the larger your price is, the, the, the larger the holes are in that net. And some fish are going to slip through, you know, except for the big ones. And um, when you get your films out there, when your films start getting a, a larger reach, meaning a larger net, you will start catching bigger fish in that way. So if you get 20 inquiries in a week for some reason, you can either, if you have a team, you can just book more or you can raise your price because some of those ask for the same thing. And we just experienced that last year, you know, with, with a few films that did that. And that's, those were our signals to raise our price. 
Awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic podcast. Thank you guys for doing this. Thank you, our live audience, for all the questions that you've had and for uh, enjoying the pool over there. 100! Handball in the pool! That's the way to finish, right there with a cannonball. Thank you so much. Thank you to our audience on YouTube, on iTunes, for sticking with us here for 100 episodes. You guys are amazing. The reason why we do what we do. So thank you so much. And uh, keep making movie magic. Thank you, George. Thanks, George. Thank you.